Let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Jesus, as we come to your word this morning and we look at this final 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, the Passover, uh, Jesus, we want to see how you ultimately fulfill this. Lord, we're going to look at the history, but it's always our desire to see you, Christ, uh, the Son of God, in the midst of all of the Bible stories. Really, it's one story about you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, I pray that you'd give us fresh insight. I pray, God, that you would open the eyes and the ears of our hearts so that we might know you better this morning, Lord. I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that as we look at the word of God, we would, uh, with greater conviction, believe in who you are, Jesus, and all that you've done for us. And so, God, we ask your blessing upon this time in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's back up and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up. We'll pick up the story at uh, chapter 11, verse 4. I'll read through here to the end. It says this in verse 4 of chapter 11. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and the firstborn of the cattle. There should be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. I want you to take notice of verse eight for a second there where it says this, Moses went out from the presence of Pharaoh with hot anger. Uh, it's not often that you're gonna, we're going to see Moses angry in this story of the Exodus, but this is one of the, the occasions. Uh, Moses was known as a man who was humble, who had humility. The Bible says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. But it's interesting that even this most humble man has an issue with anger. And it's going to end up to be his eventual downfall. It's going to come out a few times in the story of Exodus. And at one point, he's going to snap on the people. And it's going to lead to the fact that um, uh, Moses will not get to enter uh, the promised land because of this anger. But he's angry here in, in verse 8. He's angry because Pharaoh has dug in his heels and he's hardened his heart against uh, God, against the word of the Lord. And it's going to result in thousands, tens of thousands uh, dying when this 10th plague uh, comes upon the land of Egypt. Now it says that in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of your year for you. So what we're going to see here is that Passover marked um, 
a new day, a new beginning for the people of Israel. The calendars reset. God, God sets a, a day one, and they're going to have a religious calendar, and it starts here uh, with, the, with the first of the month of Abib, or Nisan, it's called. Uh, the year was to start with the, the deliverance of God and the Passover. You know, I just think about when, when Jesus liberates you, when, when you come to faith in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he brings you out of bondage from the old life, just like the Jews were bought out of bondage from the life of slavery, it marks a new day in your life. You, you know, you, uh, I, I think many of you could probably remember the exact day that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, your spiritual birthday. And we can, of course, think of another day in history that turned the calendar, the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, we, we measure uh, the years based on the birth of Jesus Christ. We say that before he was born, it was the year BC, before Christ. And after he was born, we call it the year AD, uh, Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And so the birth of Jesus Christ changed history. It, it changed the way we, we measure history and the way we gauge the years. But interestingly enough, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, that a day is coming when the Antichrist will come on the scene and he will attempt to do the same thing. He'll try to reset the calendar and to change the times <clears throat> as we know them. And we kind of see a foreshadow of that happening almost in our culture today because well, we, we say, well, you know, because it's not politically correct to say before Christ, we're going to say BCE before the common era. Or instead of um, AD, we're going to say CE, the, the common era. And I guess the, the question for you and I is this. Has your life been changed to the point where you can say, there's when I was before Christ, and now here's the time, the amount of time that I've served the Lord. Verse 3, let's read through to verse, the verse 12, actually. It says this, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall, take, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall come and take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled, but roasted with its head and with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all of the gods of Egypt, 
I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Exodus chapter 12 is really one of the most important chapters, if not the most important chapter uh, in the Old Testament, because it establishes for us what we're going to see, something that we would call a substitutionary atonement. That some, someone, that an animal, that a life can be given in your place, that blood can be shed and you can be redeemed by that blood that is shed. Now, it, it's interesting here that it, in verse 3 and 4 there, it says that, that the issue is never that the lamb is too small for the house. The issue is that the house can be too small for the lamb. And so he said, if, if your house is too small for one lamb, uh, combine a couple homes together. But check out verse 3. He says this. You'll notice this. He speaks of the lamb. He says, a lamb. Later in that verse, right at the end, a lamb for a household. And in verse 4, a lamb. And then it goes on and it, and it says, uh, the lamb in verse 4. And then in verse 5, it's referred to as your lamb. See, in, in the mind of the Lord, there was never a whole bunch of lambs being uh, sacrificed. Whenever the Lord speaks of the lamb, speaks of a lamb, your lamb, he speaks in the singular. Because in the wisdom of God, he was always ultimately speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. Jesus is a lamb. He's not just a lamb. He is the lamb. And, and yet for you and I, he must be more than that. He has to be your lamb. And when you can say that Jesus is your lamb, when, when the blood of the, the lamb of God has been applied to your life, then, then you're acknowledging your participation in his death, this was the, the one plague here that the Israelites were instructed and commanded to partake in. And, and we're going to see here, they're going to kill these lambs. And verse 5 says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of, your, of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Peter said this, you were ransomed, speaking of you and I, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, uh, the gospel of Luke tells us that there was a thief hanging there beside him. And as one, there was two thieves on either side of him. And as one thief was uh, hurling insults at him, the other thief spoke up and said, let him alone, he's done nothing wrong. The Roman centurion who looked on and observed how Jesus died said, truly, this must be the son of God. Uh, Pontius Pilate, as he washed his hands at Jesus' trial, said this, I find no fault in him. Even Judas, after he'd come to the realization of his betrayal of Jesus, said, I have betrayed innocent blood. See, Jesus is the lamb of God without blemish. Now, in your mind's eye, I, I don't want you to picture little baby lamb. We, we have to picture here a, a yearling, a year-old lamb. Uh, we define a lamb as a, a sheep or a goat that is less than 18 months old. 
And in fact, uh, a year-old lamb is equivalent in terms of lifespan to a 30-year-old. The lamb was to be a year old. Now, this year-old lamb, interesting, the Israelites were to, to bring it in their home on the 10th day of the month. And the lamb was to live there with them until they slaughtered it on the 14th day of the month. So for four days, you know, during those four days, you'd be inspecting this lamb, uh, watching for blemishes and different things. And, uh, you know, the kids would be playing with the lamb. I, I could just imagine bringing a lamb into my household. There, there would be a fight every day about where the lamb was sleeping that night, <laughs> whose bedroom was the lamb going into. And this lamb would become like part of your family, like a pet or, you know, families would, would fall in love with the, with the lamb and they would be like members of the household. Now, it's interesting that the Bible tells us that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with the crowds hailing him the king of the Jews. And the date, wa- the date was the 10th day of Nisan, the same day that the lamb was to be brought into the home. That's Palm Sunday. Jesus was presented to Israel and for four days, you read the gospels, for four days, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, his enemies tried him with questions and they tried to find fault in him and they tried to find fault in his character and in his behavior. They They tried to find blemishes in him, but they could find no flaw. Now it says, In verse 6 there, the the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And then in verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they, they eat it, in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now, bitter herbs, uh, are to remind the people of Israel about the bitter life of slavery that they lived in Egypt. Uh, the unleavened bread, leaven, leaven is yeast. So to have bread without yeast, um, in scripture, leaven is always a picture of sin. And so, you know, when we know how it works. When you make making bread and you add yeast to it, the, the yeast penetrates and spreads through the whole batch of dough and it permeates everything. And what happens is, is that the bread begins to puff up. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that we're to be cleansed of leaven because leaven, sin, also puffs up in our life. It puffs up in pride. And so they were to eat bread that was without leaven. Bitter herbs, reminding them of the bitter life. Unleavened bread, a life without sin. And I was thinking, you know, um, we had a Passover dinner. How many guys came to the Passover dinner earlier this spring here at CTK? It was awesome. And one of the things we learned about the bread, we've since, we've since used this bread when we have communion. So I want you to watch for this next time we have communion. But when they celebrate Passover, they eat an unleavened bread and the bread is actually um, striped and pierced. Sound familiar? He was pierced for our iniquities. He was striped and by his wounds, we are, we, by his stripes, we are healed. Um, it's unleavened bread. And in, and in the Passover c- celebration, nobody really knows why. Why do we eat this bread that is both pierced and striped? Well, as Christians, we understand why. Because it's a picture of Jesus Christ. 
By his stripes we're healed. He is pierced for our iniquities. And so the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. It says, do not eat any, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. Uh, the instruction is this, completely consume the lamb. Whatever you don't eat, burn it with fire. Likewise, Jesus was completely consumed by the wrath of God, his life. I should have been consumed by the wrath of God for my sin. But Jesus took that upon himself. It, he bore that wrath and he spoke, it is finished. Now in verse 11 we read, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat it in haste. They're to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Jesus likewise told his disciples that we should be prepared. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, Jesus said. And then in verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, you know, we've been kind of slowly pointing out different gods that God was bringing judgment against during each of these plagues. Osiris, we mentioned him last, last week. He was the God of the harvest. He was also considered the God of life. And we're going to see God bring death. He's going to say, no, I'm the God of life. Pharaoh also considered himself a God. And I would say, ultimately, this judgment is against Pharaoh, who claimed to be deity, who, who looked at himself as, as a God. And there is one purpose, the Lord says, in these, in these judgments, that they may know I am the Lord that they may know that I am Yahweh. Verse 13 says, The blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I see the blood, the Lord says, I'll, I'll pass over. So they're to kill the lamb. Here's the picture. They're, they're to kill the lamb at the door of their home. We're going to read here in one of the next verses coming up that they're to slaughter the lamb in the basin. That's because an Egyptian home was designed with this purpose. At the, at the front door, there was a basin with which you would wash your feet so that your feet were clean when you went into the house. And so the Lord says, when you, when you kill the lamb, when you slaughter the lamb, I want you to spill its blood into the basin. And then you're to take hyssop branches and you're to brush uh, both the doorposts of the home and the lintel of the home with that blood. Now the picture is this, right? We know that Jesus was crucified between two crosses. So you got two doorposts, a lintel across the top with the lamb in the middle. A picture of Jesus Christ. The innocent life had to be killed and then the blood had to be applied. Now, I, I, I read this story and I just think, man, there's much about this that the Israelites must have gone, this is weird, man. 
I, I don't understand. You know, uh, what's God asking us to do? You know, kill this innocent life and then apply the blood. We have the benefit, we read this story, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of overlaying the gospel and seeing that ultimately this is a picture of Jesus Christ and what he did for our sins in the shedding of his blood. But they were to apply the blood by faith. They were to act obediently in response to the word of God. It had nothing to do with who was inside the house. It had nothing to do with works. It had nothing to do with their understanding or how they could theologically apply this. It wasn't about the expense of their home or the way the front door was designed. They, they weren't saved because of theological depth. It was just obedience. Apply the blood to your life. The blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And, and that blood said this. That's already come to this house. The destroyer's coming, but death has already come to this particular house. The, the innocent substitute has already given its life for the people in this house. And the Bible says that, that when God saw the blood, um, he passed over. The picture is this. In Hebrew, the picture is this, that God put that house under the shadow of his wing. And when the destroyer came, the shadow of the wing of God protected that home. Remember the words of Jesus? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. It's the same picture. Jesus said, I, I wanted to put you under my wing to protect you. Now, it's not like the, the, the inhabitants of these homes uh, got off. Death had already come. You know, for you and I, it's not like we got off for sin. It's, uh, you know, judgment fully came for my sin. Judgment fully came for your sin, and it, and it came upon uh, Jesus. That's the principle of what we would call substitutionary atonement, that through the death of an animal, there was a sacrifice of life, an exchange of life. The Bible says that the life is in the blood, and through the death of Jesus, there is an exchange of life. Jesus fully bore my judgment for sin. He bore your judgment for sin. It's over. It's full. He, as he hung on the cross and he gave up his life, he said, it is finished. There's nothing to be added to the work of the cross. And the Bible says, with his blood, he purchased men. He gave his life in substitution for us. And the application is important. The application of the blood. When the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives, the past and the present and the future is wholly ransomed and rescued by the blood of the lamb. You don't need to do anything to add to the work of Jesus. You know, I sat down with some guys one time who came to tell me about the gospel at my front door and I said, tell me what's the gospel. And he said, you do this and then you live according to the law of God. I said, hold on, that's not the gospel. You don't have to add anything to the work of Jesus. 
The cross, it is finished. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. And, and on an intellectual level, I would say this. You could intellectually agree with me and go, yeah, I, I agree with that. But power is in application. That's where the power is in the cross. When the blood is applied to that home for the Israelites, then they were hidden in the wing of the Lord. And the destroyer had to pass over. And, and for you and I, the power of the cross is in the application of the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives. There's no fear in Christ. Jesus was already judged on your behalf. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So just like the blood needed to be applied to the individual home of the Israelites, so we must individually apply the blood of Jesus Christ uh, to our hearts and to our lives. Now we read in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove all of the, remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on, these, on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I brought out your hosts out of, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So here's a picture. The lamb is brought into the home on the 10th of the month. On the 14th of the month, four days later... The lamb is uh, sacrificed. And then on the 15th day of the month, the very next day after Passover, this feast of unleavened bread begins for the, for the Israelites. They're to celebrate this festival for, uh, for seven days. Now Jesus died. He was without leaven. His life was without sin. And the resurrection, I would say, confirmed with authority that he was found to be without blemish, without spot, without leaven, without sin. Now, during this festival that would happen after Passover, the Israelites would uh, scour through their homes and they would search and they would sweep up all of the leaven from their houses. And, and that's the picture for us, that as Jesus, as the blood of Christ is applied to our life and 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 we're forgiven of our sin, then we go through the house, we go through our lives, and we begin to remove that leaven, that sin. The Bible says, let those who name the name of Jesus depart from iniquity. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now it says in verse 15 there, uh, the person who doesn't do so shall, we, shall be cut off. That doesn't mean cut off of Israel, cut out of Israel. It means to be put outside the camp. Not put to death, but they're to be put outside the camp until 
they take care of this. So the 14th of Nisan was Passover. And the very next day on the 15th, God led the hosts of Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage, the bondage of slavery. It's interesting that they're called the, the host of Israel. Host is the word army. If you're reading a different translation than the one that I'm teaching out this morning, your Bible might say, and God led out the armies of Israel. Um, and I think armies, are you serious, Lord? This is a bunch of slaves. A bunch of the, nobodies. They, they don't resemble an army in any sense of the word, but God calls, the scripture tells, tells us that God calls things that are not as though they were. God looked on the people of Israel and he saw the finished product that he was working as he was bringing them out. And he said, they're an army. They're my army. I think of the word of God, which calls you and I saints. Like, man, I'm not a saint. Are you kidding me? You know what my life is like? I'm not a saint. But God calls things that are not as though they were. And he calls you and I saints. Now verse 18 says, In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So there it is. In your houses, no leaven. For us, in our hearts, no sin, no leaven. That's, that's your house, your heart. Verse 21. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Two crosses with the lamb in the middle. And none of you shall go out of, your, out of the door of his house until morning. Verse 23. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. I don't know what that looks like, but just that description, the destroyer, it's pretty freaky sounding. Verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worship. This is important to the Lord. The Lord says, this is a statute that I am uh, instituting forever. When your children come to you and they say, what's this all about? Why are we doing this? This is important to the Lord. The Lord is concerned about the passing on of faith to the next generation. You know, it became uh, the tradition of the Passover meal that the youngest that was there at dinner would be trained to ask this question, what's the meaning of this service? When we had our Passover meal here at the church, Isabella was the youngest one here, so she got to come up to the front, and they gave her some questions to ask, and she had to ask, what does, what's the meaning 
of what we were doing. And it was the role of the patriarch and the family to tell the story of the Passover, to tell how the Egyptians were struck and how Israel was spared. And I love here that as we read this, it says, when, when the people heard these things from the lips of Moses, they bowed their heads and worshiped. We saw them do that one, one time once before in Exodus. It was all the way back in chapter four when Moses first came back to the land and he said, God's, God's gonna deliver you. He's come to deliver you out of the bonds of slavery. It says in Exodus chapter four, verse 31, they bowed their heads and they worshiped God. And so this is the second time that this response to the word of God is that the people worship. Now verse 28. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. They did as the Lord commanded. That's obedience. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all of the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. You know, I just imagine in my mind um, that as we know in, in those cultures... Multiple generations often live together in one home. You know, you might have grandparents and parents and children all living in one house. And, and if you have that, grandparents, parents, and children, you have the potential to have, you know, three firstborn males in that house. And all would have died. So when we read that there wasn't a house where someone was not dead, I mean, we have to imagine that many of the houses had multiple uh, Dead sons, firstborn males. Verse 31. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among the people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. You remember it was Pharaoh who once said this? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? At this point, uh, He's a broken man. He is beyond negotiating with God at this point. Uh, he, he's brokenhearted at the death of his own firstborn. He finally is faced with the decision to admit that the Lord is God, that he's greater than the gods of Egypt. Now in verse 33 we read, Then the Egyptians were urgent with all the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. For they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have uh, what they asked. And they plundered. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Back wages. All these decades and hundreds of years of, of slavery. I just imagine that there wasn't one outstanding. The Lord's just. There's not one outstanding day of wages that were owed to those Israelites that were not play, you know, paid. 
it's like, we'll give you whatever you want. Just get out of here because we're all going to die. And they gave them all of their riches and their, their clothing. You know that God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, when the covenant was established, the Lord told him, your descendants are going to spend 400 years in a land that's not their own. And that when God would bring them out, he would execute judgment on that land and they would come out with great possessions. This is the word of God being fulfilled. This is back wages being paid to the people of God. They're going to use a lot of this gold and silver to build their tabernacle to worship God. Verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now this is Amazing when you consider it. 600,000 men. The Bible actually tells us elsewhere that they were all over the age of 20. So that's not including any man under, any male under the age of 20. So you have to think, over the age of 20, they've each got a wife. That's 1.2 million. You know, if we conservatively said in their homes in those days there was two children, which there was likely much more than that on average, you have like two and a half, three million people here. I, I think closer to 3 million. It even says that a mixed multitude went out with them. Um, no doubt there were believing Egyptians. Um, you know, if they, like the Hebrews, had faith and applied the, the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their home and the lintel, they were also passed over. You know, you have to think that after 400 years of living in Egypt, no doubt there were mixed marriages between Egyptians and Hebrews. But what we're going to see is that um, as the story continues, this mixed multitude, they're actually called the rabble, and some translations are going to cause problems for, for the people of God. Now imagine this. They left. They've got no provisions except what they can carry on their back, some leavened bread, some clothes, gold and silver. They don't have a map. They're going into the desert uh, they don't really know where they're going. The descendants of Abraham haven't been in the land of Canaan for over 400 years. They're just, the Lord is thrusting them out and they're going out. And the, and the Bible tells us that there was not one sick or infirm person among them. That something miraculous happened when they left Egypt and God healed all of their sick and no one was sick for 40 years while they wandered in the desert. The Bible also tells us that their shoes did not wear out for 40 years. Their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. Now, I, I would like to get a pair of shoes like that for my sons. Because it seems like every two months, somebody's saying, I need new shoes. You know, I don't know how it, it worked. Maybe miraculously, the shoes and the clothes just grew with the individual as they were there. But something happened miraculous and their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out. No sick, no, no infirmed. Now in verse 40, we read, by the time that the people of Israel lived in, lived in Egypt, sorry, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts, armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. Uh, So no outside people, no people who are not a part of the people of God may partake in the Passover. But we're going to see here, and he's going to tell us this in further detail, that if an outsider uh, will be circumcised, that means if they'll remove the fleshly life to live the life of the spirit, then they can participate in the Lord's Passover. Verse 46. And it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. So again, here's the picture. The blood of the lamb is applied to the doorposts of the home and the lintel. And the application for us is this. So we apply the blood of the lamb to our house, to our lives. And then the Israelites were told, bring the lamb into your house. We apply the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ to our hearts. And we invite, we bring Jesus, the lamb of God into our hearts. It says here, you shall not break any of his bones. You know, when Jesus was crucified, Pilate was amazed when the report came to him, Jesus is already dead. He said, what? Seriously? Wow, that was fast. Um, Of course, we know from the story of Jesus that his life was not taken from him, but that he, he willingly gave up his spirit so that you and I could be brought to God by his shed blood. But when Pilate heard the report that Jesus was already dead, he was totally shocked. And so he, he sent a soldier to check on it. Now, typically, how it would roll is this. The soldier would go and he would take a mallet and he would strike the leg of the, cruci- the victim who was being crucified. And he would then break both his legs, actually. And the reason why he would do that was to speed up the process of death. Because uh, for a person being crucified... Typically, they, they would die of suffocation, asphyxiation, because they would be wrestling to get a breath of air. They'd have to lift themselves up so that they could be able to breathe and inhale deeply and exhale. And so one of the ways to speed up the death of someone who was being crucified was to break their legs because then their ability to lift themselves uh, to breathe was extremely hindered. Well, when the soldier came to Jesus, they found he was already dead. And so rather than breaking uh, a bone, the soldier took his spear and he pierced Jesus' side. And the Bible tells us blood and water flowed. Now Jesus' death was extremely, unusually quick actually for a crucifixion. The shortest recorded crucifixion by the Romans that they record in their history is 30 hours. The longest they record is a victim lasting 13 days on the cross. 
And you know, the longer you hung there, the, the more the, the birds and the dogs and the wild animals came and feasted on the victim who was hanging there. Jesus died in a matter of hours. But you know, Jesus was not a slouch. He wasn't weak. He traveled by foot all over the land of Israel. I imagine from time to time, he fished and worked hard alongside his disciples. As a carpenter, you know, Jesus didn't drive up the hill to GBS to get his supplies. He cut the tree down, he milled the tree, and he made whatever he was making. In fact, carpenters in those days, one of the things that they were well known for was their ability to work with stone too, not just wood. And so, you know, Jesus didn't just work with wood. He worked with stone. And so I imagine that he understood the work of the quarry. And and Jesus was a man. He was a man's man. You know, the hands of that healer were the calloused hands of a man's man. And so... You know, as a son of God, the cross was by no means a defeat. His quick death was by no means a defeat. The cross did not take Jesus' life. The Lamb of God willingly gave up his life on that cross. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He gave it up and he said, it is finished. See, the cross is not the defeat of God. The cross is the victory of God. The cross is the victory of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood. And the Bible tells us with his shed blood, he purchased men. He said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. It is finished. All of the sins are paid for. It is finished. And and if you will apply the blood of the lamb to your life, and and invite him into your heart, you will be free from the punishment of sin and death. When the destroyer comes, you will be hidden in the wing of the Lord and you will be passed over. That's the picture for you and I. We too have a Passover. Verse 47 says, all of the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Look, if you're to be accounted amongst the congregation, if you're to be counted amongst the inhabitants of the kingdom of God, if you're to be counted amongst uh, the church, the people of God, then the Passover sacrifice of Jesus Christ has to be applied to your life. It says in verse 14 or 48, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Look at you want to be a part of the family of God, you have to deal with your flesh. You have to deal with the old man, the sin nature. You got to turn away from the old man and by faith in Jesus Christ, be born again. Apply the blood, bring the lamb into your heart and be born again, the life of the spirit. Now last two verses. 
all of the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts, by their armies. The Israelites had been led out of slavery, uh, out of out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And so we've been led out of slavery to sin and death. And now in this story, as we're going to start to go further over the, the weeks to come, uh, now begins the journey of learning to follow God so that they can be brought into the promised land. And, and we're going to see lots of great applications for you. And I. We've come out of the life of slavery. We're, we're learning to journey with God until he brings us in to the promised land. You know, God is going to lead the, the people of God with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, three million people uh, through the desert of Sinai. Some estimate that the camp, the size of the camp, because there were so many people, was uh, 1,200 square kilometers. Because you're dealing with millions of people. They have livestock with them. They're going to need in the desert, I don't know, 12 to 18 million liters of water per day. They're going to need, if you think about it, you know, $50 million worth of supplies to survive every single day. They're going to need like 40 tons of food. This is going to be a miraculous story of God working on behalf of his people to bring them into the promised land. They're going to need miracles to survive and God's going to lead them into opportunities that are designed to reveal his glory in, in their lives. And you know, God's doing that for you and me all the time. He's leading us into opportunities all the time so that we would learn to see his glory in our lives. Even when situations seem impossible, they're going to have bitter experiences. God's going to make them sweet. Food is going to rain down from heaven. You know, manna, bread from heaven. The quail are going to come. They'll be, they'll be a meter and a half deep and the people will eat meat. God will lead them in battle against their enemies. They're going to go to a rock and God is going to supply for them water. It'll flow from the rock more than one occasion. And they're going to learn what it means to follow the Lord. See, the people of God have been brought out. And you and I have been brought out. And now God desires to bring them in, and he desires to bring you and me in. And we're going to look at the, the, the journey of Israel, and we're going to learn, you know, how to live by faith in the midst of the wilderness. You know, I think of this Passover and all this shedding of blood, and I go, man, it's barbaric. <laughs> it's kind of a horrific story. It's, you know... Um, it's just nasty, all that shedding of blood. I, I, I've never killed an animal before, so it's just such a foreign concept to me. I just, it's, it's bizarre, this shedding of the blood. And I would say this, it's right to be horrified. If you read that story and you think, man, it kind of horrifies me. I, I kind of grossed out. It's right to be horrified. Do you know why? Because sin is not a cheap thing. And the forgiveness that came through Jesus Christ is very costly. It cost him his life, but he did so willingly to bring you to God. And you know, when you get to know Jesus, 
you begin to love the blood. Because it's the shed blood of the Savior who saved you. I want the blood applied to my life. You know, I think of the cross and I think, I love the cross. What? That's a tool of wrath. I love the cross. Because it's, it brings our, our lives joy and it humbles us that, that Jesus would die for a sinner such as myself and such as you. But here, the story of the, of, of the Passover is this. Application is everything. You know, medicine in the cupboard doesn't do you any good unless you go take it. And as the Israelites did, so we must do. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. Apply his blood to the doorposts of your life. Invite Jesus, the lamb of God, in and know that God's judgment will pass over you. Application is 